And Jim Rohn is one of my favorites, and he has a saying, it's never wish life were easier, wish that you were better. Welcome to Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals, the show that teaches you and other busy pros how to grow your wealth so you can live life on your own terms. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. Our guest today is Marco Santarelli. Marco is the founder of Narada Real Estate Investments, a prominent turnkey real estate investment provider. Narada provides turnkey real estate opportunities in a number of markets all around the country. Essentially, turnkey real estate opportunities for those that haven't invested before is his company will put together a, say, a single family property, get it all renovated, bring the property management in, and then sell that package to you. So Marco, welcome to the show. Thank you, Taylor. It's great being here. Very happy to have you. Excited to talk. I've got questions from folks in my network from on Facebook for you today. And I gave a little bit of a summary of turnkey investing there right at the top. But I wonder, you know, as a professional in turnkey real estate investing, how would you summarize what turnkey real estate investing is? Yeah, that's a great question. The reason it's a great question is because there's really no formal definition or industry definition of what a turnkey investment or turnkey rental is. And I started this business back in late 2003, 2004, and I started marketing the word turnkey very heavily. And then, you know, as, as the months and years went by, more and more people started using that definition. The problem is, is that a lot of people started using that definition in different ways. So it meant different things to different people. And what I really dislike is that many people out there use the term um, with what I refer to as rent-ready properties. And to me, that's different than having a turnkey rental property. So our definition of a turnkey rental property is, is a property that's in a good market, in a good neighborhood. It's in new or like new condition. It is uh, professionally managed by full service property management. And more often than not, and ideally it is leased. So you have a quality screened tenant in place that is paying their rent on a monthly basis, generating monthly passive income or cash flow for you. So that forms the basis of what a turnkey rental should be. Uh, with and then you know, to take that just one step further, um, it's not just about the turnkey real estate investment. But we like to layer that with an experience, you know, where we provide counseling and that's the turnkey real estate investing part of it. So the investment is 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 a part of it and the investing experience, having all the tools and the right team to be able to acquire those turnkey rentals it, it go hand in hand. So that's a long answer to your short question. But but essentially, that's what a turnkey real estate investment should be. And that and that's the way we feel about it. Okay, that's great. And who is the typical or the ideal profile of a turnkey real estate investor? Who's your typical best fit person to invest in these type of properties? I, I want to be careful not to exclude anyone because I will tend to say uh, a busy professional. But the reality is, is we have investors that are as young as 18 years old, uh, to other people who are in their 50s and 60s. Um, we have investors that are doctors. We have investors that are entrepreneurs. We have investors who are salespeople. We have investors who are um, 
you know, have blue collar jobs, uh, tr truck drivers, literally, um, they come from all walks of life. I think the common denominator is this, the investors are, want to be passive, meaning that they have a life, they have their career, their jobs, their family, they have their hobbies and they don't want to be swinging hammers and looking for distressed properties or distressed sellers and doing it all themselves. They want someone to help them and maybe provide them with a solution that does 80, 70 to 80% of the work. It, that part of it's already done. So it's like shopping. It's like, here are the markets that make sense. Here are properties that make sense that are cash flow positive, that are turnkey, what I defined before. And regardless of whether you're a busy professional or, or someone who, you know, is, is, uh, is maybe not a, you know, a busy professional, it fits everybody's, it can fit everybody's goals in terms of, of investing in real estate, creating passive income, creating wealth. So I guess, long story short, um, this fits, this fits virtually any, anybody who's looking to invest in real estate. But I will say this, that most of the people that we do deal with are, are people who are a little time strapped and, or don't have the knowledge or education to, try to do it all the, all on their own. So at the end of the day, uh, we're talking to people who are just wanting to say, here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to achieve. Here are my goals. You know, help me build that out. Makes a lot of sense. Folks are very well. Your, your ideal client is best categorized by what their goals are in investing, which is potentially goals of investing in real estate without a huge time commitment and most likely they have some cash, some capital on the side that they're able to invest. This is not a no money down, get rich quick scheme. It is a way to invest in cash flowing real estate without purchasing a second job for yourself. That's exactly it. it, it yes. The, people want to continue doing what they're doing, but they know they need to invest. They know they need to focus on their future. Uh, so so rather than handing your money over to Wall Street, uh, you know, achieve your goals using real estate, which is the most historically proven asset class out there to create wealth and income. So let the right team of people help you do that by providing those turnkey investments in, in the good markets. And that's what it's all about. So it helps you save time. Now, that's, that doesn't mean you're disconnected or disengaged. You have to be actively involved, but it's not a very time consuming way to invest. Makes perfect sense. So I, for the listeners out there who don't know this ahead of time, I put the call out there on Facebook and then in, you know, my personal life a little bit for questions for Marco around turnkey real estate investing. And, you know, we, Marco, you and I talked a little bit before the show about these and I uh, just want to dive into those. Um, first one from a buddy of mine, who's a surgeon is, if a particular house or uh, turnkey property, say single family, is such a good deal, it's such a good cash flow opportunity, why don't you, Marco, just buy the property and hold it for cash flow? Why are you selling it off to, say, a surgeon from Virginia? Well, like we were talking about before, it's a good question, and it's one I haven't been asked in a long, long time, I think because a lot of people have finally you know, understood the business model and the business itself is, 
our business is in the business of helping individual real estate investors build their portfolio of those turnkey rentals for cash flow and to create wealth. They are there because they're available to to anybody who wants to invest in real estate, whether it's you or or your doctor friend or myself or my staff. It, it, it you know we have a large inventory of them. Um, at any given time, we'll probably have between 100 to 200 properties available on our website. They're not all necessarily on the website, but they're spread across 18 to 20 markets. And they come and they go. And today, you know, there's a lot of velocity. Sales are brisk. And so, uh, you know, deals are getting snapped up quickly. But, you know, to answer the question, it's number one, I couldn't possibly purchase all those properties myself if I wanted them. Second, I have my own portfolio. Third, um, as I acquire more properties, um, I just pick and choose from the same inventory that you would be looking at. And so, you know, first come, first serve, they're there and they're available for anybody who wants to to purchase. So, you know, it almost sounds like there's a little bit of a scarcity mindset in, in that question. And I'm not saying that this is what your friend is thinking. Um, I just know people in the past have thought, well, geez, there must be only so many deals out there. If you have these good deals, why don't you buy them yourself? Well, I am, I do, but I, I, there's only so many I can purchase in a given year. So that's the answer. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me, the answer. And I think another angle to look at it from is what does every party bring to the table here, right? So you, and and correct me if I'm wrong here, but um, I might be drawing a conclusion that that I shouldn't be, but you and, and Narada, what you bring to the table is your ability to put together these investments, use things like maybe hard money or some, like some kind of short-term financing to acquire these properties, rehab them, get them all set up. And then what an investor brings to the table is that additional chunk of capital to buy the property, get some longer term financing, and then hold it. It's just goes back to that business model. Your business model in Narada is not to buy and rehab these properties and own them long term. It's to buy and rehab them and resell them. And you, Marco, buy some of them yourself, but it's just not feasible for you to buy all of them. Well, it's it's not it's just not possible. <clears throat> the thing is, is the, the the point the main point is this: is our business is there to be helping others, other people, in educating and educating them about how to invest in real estate the proper way, uh, being market agnostic, uh, what to focus on, how to evaluate a, a market, a neighborhood, a property, all that stuff. I mean, that's just what we do for free. We push that information out. We want to educate people in every way possible, video, audio, you know, text, blogs, reports, and guides, uh, our investment counselors, we do free strategy sessions, all that stuff is free. And the reason we do that is because we want to be working with people who are semi-educated and knowledgeable. That way we can get right down to building a roadmap for them to build that portfolio. So we start with their goals. We have that strategy session and define that criteria. And then, you know, once you are clear on what you're trying to achieve, it's easy to execute on that plan. So, yeah, I mean, we just want to have good quality property in different markets. I mean, in an ideal world, I would love to have only six markets, three cash flow based markets and three that are more growth oriented. So I call them, a, I call them hybrid markets. They're a cross between pure growth 
and cash flow. They're in the middle of that spectrum. I would, I would love to only have six markets. And we used to be only in about five or six markets. But over the last four years or so, we have found that more and more markets are becoming seller's markets. Inventory is low. It's harder to find good deals. They move a lot more quickly. So demand is strong. Supply is, is dwindling. And when you have low inventory, uh, the only way to keep up with and service our clients, to keep up with that demand and service our clients with good product, is to go into more markets. So we've had to go wider because we don't have the depth of inventory in the market. So we've had to bring on more markets. And those range from as far south as uh, Lee County, Florida, which is where uh, Lee, uh, Fort Myers is located, to as far north as places like Chicago and Cincinnati. Uh, most of it's in the Midwest down through Texas and on out throughout the Southeast, as far uh, east as Jacksonville, Florida. So we had to go wide, you know, in order to keep up with the demand for that inventory. Interesting. Makes a lot of sense to me. And, I, you know, I, I didn't know that I'd be getting uh, coming up this question in my head when we came into the interview. But you said you started this business in, I think, 2003. 2004 is the time frame when you started the selling turnkey rentals. And I'm curious your opinion of the market today uh, and juxtaposed with maybe 2005, 2006 time frame. You know, was it because I wasn't investing in real estate then? Um, was it a, a seller's market then, much in the way it is today? Do you see any parallels between then and now or any extreme differences in the, uh, in the real estate market? What, what are your thoughts there? Well, there's definitely some similarities. We, you know, we have seen uh, large recoveries in virtually every market around the country. So prices are have rebounded to where they were at their peak in 2006 in many of the 400 plus metropolitan areas around the country. Um, however, this time around, and this is probably the biggest difference is that that price growth has been driven primarily because of uh, short supply and true demand. Uh, of course, you know, interest rates are still historically low. And so cheap credit tends to, you know, drive uh, markets and, and also create bubbles. But the problem with the market back in 2006 is that credit was not only, uh, interest rates were not only very low, but credit was incredibly easy to acquire. And there was a lot of speculating that was going on. And so people were buying homes that they really couldn't, shouldn't have bought and couldn't afford uh, with that ultra cheap financing and very, very low down payments. You know, and then on top of that, you have investors who were speculating. So you, you, you had, you know, a drive to push homeowners into home ownership when they probably shouldn't have been. Uh, also, the credit requirements were very, very low. Credit scores were, you know, as low as 600 and below to qualify for financing. And, you know, we used to have something called ninja loans, no income, no asset, no job. Um, so as long as you can fog a mirror, you can get a loan. <laughs> now, you compare that to today, and um, property values are being driven up primarily because of, of strong demand and low supply. Uh, credit is still relatively easy to acquire and interest rates are still um, comparable. They're still very low. 
But the main difference is that today people are actually having to qualify. The, uh, the average credit score on the bulk of the loans that are being issued today is 720. So you actually have to have a good credit score to be able to get financing today. If you don't have a 720 plus score, you're probably not getting financed. So that is the main difference. We don't have a lot of these um, uh, purchases and loans in the pipeline that have a high risk of, of default. So that, I think that's probably the biggest difference. Awesome. I appreciate that perspective. And it sounds like things are better today. I mean, um, at least structurally in the real estate market, uh, recessions are inevitable and we'll hit another one someday. But it sounds like at least um, it's not going to be triggered by a credit crunch in real estate, which is good to hear, or at least uh, hopefully that's not going to be what happens. And I want to get back to uh, questions from the peanut gallery. Next one being, what should an investor look for in turnkey operators or turnkey sellers, which may not be immediately obvious? Well, the, probably the biggest one is, um, is uh, reputation. That, that by far is probably the biggest thing to consider. You know, years in the business is certainly um, important and something to look at. Um, so reputation is, is the biggest thing. Um, and you can do a lot of research online and find, find a lot of, of dirt, if you will, on certain providers. I'm not going to mention certain companies, but I will say that uh, I could name probably three companies right now that, well, there's certainly a lot more, but there are three companies that come to mind that um, are in you know deep water for one reason or another. One in particular, they, I can't believe they're, they're still um, running a podcast, but you know, the, the issue I've had with them for the longest time is they're selling what I like to loosely call crack houses. There's, these are basically like 30 and $40,000 homes in questionable and sketchy neighborhoods, often what I'll call, you know, your D class neighborhoods and your C minus neighborhoods. Um, they look great on paper. They sound cheap. You know, it sounds like it's a cheap house. You know, it's something easy to get into, but the problem is, is that they're usually all cash purchases, and it's it's hard or impossible to get financing. Um, and you know, it's going to be really, really hard to sell that property if you ever need to sell it. So that's the issue I have with one particular company, uh, and they're actually in the middle of a class action lawsuit right now. And then there's some other companies out there that are also having their fair share of issues. You know, in any industry, there's always a bad apple or a couple of bad apples, which kind of, you know, give a black eye to, you know, the industry, any industry for that matter. So um, ask questions, uh, maybe ask for referrals, certainly do some research online, uh, look at, you know, you know whether they, they have, a, you know, a good rating with the Better Business Bureau, if there are reviews online, which most companies do have now um, today, there are forums online that you can you know, poke your nose into, and 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 uh, there's one in particular. It's a very big real estate based, real estate investor based forum online. Uh, you know, they have all kinds of stuff on virtually everybody in the industry. And you know, sometimes you got people saying stuff that they really don't understand. But but if you read enough of other people's comments and reviews, uh, you'll get a pretty good snapshot. But reputation's a big thing. Um, getting on the phone and having a conversation, you know, with with their team and getting a feel for their level of knowledge and, you know, whether they're just trying to sell you something 
or or truly try to help you is another thing you can do because you know everybody's got a sixth sense and your gut will often tell you whether you know working with somebody or a company um, is the right thing to do. So I, yeah, I guess I don't know if I'm fully answering your question, but that's uh, you know that's where I would start. I think it definitely is a is a good answer. Looking at people's reputations online, research doing a, um, some deeper research on uh, how they've been rated with places like the Better Business Bureau, and you know maybe if you troll forums and stuff, you can find people who have done business with them in the past and get people's candid opinions kind of offline about how their experience yeah. was because people are especially in real estate, people are genuinely willing to talk and share and help, especially if they've had a bad experience, they'll talk your ear off about it. And if it's not public, yeah, you better hold on. It's you're, you're going to get all the information you want. So the next question is at what point do you consider a property not turnkey or like, when would you walk away at Narada from a potential property? Maybe what, Maybe a deeper question is what are some of your criteria and what do you look for when you're putting together a turnkey package? So your question is, is what would disqualify a property from being turnkey? Yes, that's a good way to put it. All right. Well, I think my definition before, like early, early on, really describes what a turnkey investment should be in, in our opinion. Um, but if, if you have all that up front and then you start going down the due diligence road, one of the main things that we have our clients do, and we won't actually do business with a client unless they order a home inspection, we insist upon it. It, it is well worth, you know, the 300 or $400, uh, for that. And the thing is, is even if you were buying your own principal residence, you'd still want a home inspection done. So it'd be silly not to ever, you know, to ever not order a home inspection. But uh, that that is a critical thing, and uh, you know what we look for there. They usually come back really, really clean, like quite well. But you want to look for things that are red flags or what I call must be done type items. Those need to be addressed. And then you know you might have some should be done stuff, and sometimes those don't impact the the functionality or the safety or the value of the property. It's a matter of debate, but those should be done type things can be discussed and, and resolved um, and often do get you know taken care of. And then the last category is what I call could be done. And you're never gonna order a home inspection and have it come back with nothing on it. it nobody's ever gonna say, yeah, this house is perfect. Even a new home is, is gonna have a bunch of could be done items on, um, on the report. So that's to be expected. So once you have that inspection done and you address anything that needs to be addressed at that point, uh, you pretty much know that if you've picked the market, you pick the neighborhood well, um, and you could even say down to the street level, then you shouldn't have an issue because as long as that property inspects well, there's no deferred maintenance, uh, uh, you, you have a turnkey investment. If you're missing some of those things or any of those things, um, then I would say that's not a turnkey investment. And at that point, depending on what the issue may be, I would walk away from it. Now, fortunately, you know, for us, most of what we sell has to meet a certain initial um, criteria before we consider it a turnkey investment. But we do have deals that 
we believe are turnkey and it starts off that way. But, you know, for one reason or another, we just don't know that there are issues with the property, be it the foundation or some sort of mechanical issue or something that didn't show up initially. That's a deferred maintenance item, which usually can get resolved. But, you know, those things all of a sudden become um, not so turnkey. And at that point, you know, the we just cancel the transaction and pick a different property. So um, I can't think of anything else that would disqualify because if it meets that initial litmus test, then usually it, you know, it, it goes all the way through as, as, as a good deal, as a good investment. Nice. So another question I got from one of my syndication investors that, that I do some investing alongside and invest with me was, you know, they have experience investing in syndications, which once you find an opportunity as a limited partner, limited partner investor, capital partner, whatever you want to call it, you invest your money and then you basically just sit there and you know, read the financial statements and, and the general partner operates the property. So as a turnkey investor, if this person's considering turnkey, what is the maybe additional number of hours that they're going to spend on a turnkey single family? What's the time commitment, especially compared to a syndicated, say, multifamily or mobile home park investment? Yeah, interesting question. So if we take Wall Street out of the equation, meaning, you know, you're looking at a REIT, a real estate investment trust, which is, a, you know, essentially investing in paper assets in the stock market. If we take that out of, off the table, the most passive form of real estate investment you can make is going to be a truly passive syndication, meaning that you are a limited partner and you invest in someone else's deal who is the general partner and they're managing it and, you know, and putting the deal together. So that is going to be the most passive. You're still going to have some accounting work every month or every quarter. Uh, of course, you, you know, you get your K one um, every year that you put on your tax returns. There may be some, you know, webinars or, or meetings, uh, virtual meetings that you're going to be involved in. Uh, that could be once a year, could be maybe twice a year, whatever the case is. So that's your level of involvement. With a turnkey rental, you have direct ownership. You know, you you or through your entity, you own these properties. Um, you have all the benefits. You make you you know you make the decisions, uh, not necessarily day to day, but you know the strategic decisions about how that portfolio is going to be managed and if if and when you ever sell. Uh, so there is a little bit more involvement, a little bit more responsibility, but time from a time perspective, it's not much at all. From an accounting perspective, you're going to have, you know, your statements. Um, you're basically going to put it in a spreadsheet or into QuickBooks or something, you know, once a month or once a quarter, uh, or so for some people, you know, once a year, uh, because really we're talking about 12 entries typically, 12 entries into, you know, your books, uh, one per month. <clears throat> but it's not a very time-consuming thing because everything's automated today. Uh, your property managers will deposit the net rent into your account. Uh, and then I, what I like to do is I automate my payments from, with the mortgage company. So every month they just automatically debit the, the same account and they pull out my PITI payment, my principal, my interest, taxes and insurance. So I'm not having to write a check for anything because with single family homes or, you know, one to four units, which is what we sell, you know, single families, duplexes, fourplexes, triplexes, um, the tenants are more often than not, in fact, almost always 
responsible for their own utilities. Um, and, um, you know, if there's lawn maintenance, they typically typically take care of that too. So I'm not writing any checks. It's basically I get a deposit of rents coming into my accounts every month. And then my uh, mortgage companies pull out my PITI payment. Um, I get a statement. Usually it's electronic. I don't even get a paper statement anymore. I just bank that into uh, QuickBooks. And um, that's it. I mean, uh, the only involvement I have beyond that is when I get an email from the property management company saying that, um, you know, there's, there's a, a pending work order, you know, they got a call from the tenant, they, so they're going to go and look into it and see if there's anything, you know, that needs to be done. And if, if it's legit, legitimately an issue that so, something needs to be fixed um, and it's my responsibility, you know, then I get another email saying that, you know, there's a repair that needs to be done. It's not the, it's not the tenant's uh, repair. It's my repair. It's $250. Uh, and in that case, it's more FYI than anything else. I don't need to do anything. If, if it's a, a bigger expense, then I need to get involved and make a decision, say, yeah, you know, go ahead, do it, or let's get another quote. But um, I mean, that's kind of a worst case scenario right there. I mean, that that's about the, the amount of time you would be involved with your your portfolio. Awesome. And before we get into the second half of the show, the the final segment, if someone is interested in getting started, what's kind of a, a baseline? What's a, a minimum, say, roughly that someone should have to get started? Is it going to be five thousand dollars, ten thousand, twenty five, fifty, a hundred more? Where you know, what's the minimum if you want to say get started with one turnkey single family? Well, that, that, that same question applies whether you're getting started, purchasing your second, your fifth, your tenth, or your hundredth property. It, the answer is going to be the same, and, and that is this. <clears throat> we, um, I need to give you a little bit of a broader, uh, more thorough answer to the question because I just don't want to throw a number out there because I want people to understand. Um, I, I just want people to better understand the answer. So um, the properties we sell are typically in B. B class and A minus neighborhoods. So, you know, they're kind of the bread and butter to nicer growth area areas. We don't want to be in C class neighborhoods. We don't want to be dealing with, you know, less expensive homes, you know, where you can get problematic tenants and more turnover and that kind of stuff. So the reason I'm saying that is because in the markets that we're in, those properties are going to range from probably on the very low end, $80,000 to the high end, I'd say about $180,000. So there's quite a range there. So 80 to 180. And with conventional financing today, the minimum down payment is 20%. So all you have to do is do the math in your head and you can answer the question. So let's just take a $100,000 property because that's close to the average of what we sell. The average is about 110 to 120, uh, but the math is easy to on 100,000. So if you take 20% of $100,000, it's $20,000. So a $100,000 uh, three bedroom home is gonna have a down payment of, of, of $20,000. Plus you're gonna have a, a probably a couple thousand dollars in closing costs, miscellaneous expenses, you know, title, you know, you're gonna have a title company involved. So you'll have title insurance and that kind of stuff. So all in all, I'd say, Plus or minus about twenty-two thousand per per property per door. Uh, you know, we're talking single-family homes right now, but you know, the same could apply to duplexes and fourplexes. You just you know scale up the math. Um, however, I will say this: even though you can get into a a, a good turnkey property, a, t- a turnkey rental for really as little as about 
seventeen, eighteen thousand dollars, maybe even fifteen. Um, what I like to say using that hundred thousand dollar property example is that even though you're all in for twenty two thousand dollars, and now you own, you know, this uh, you own your next turnkey investment that's cash flowing every month and creating wealth over time. I like to tell investors, especially in the early days, go f- like have twenty four, twenty five thousand. Even though you're not spending that that other two or three thousand dollars, it's really just what you're going to keep on reserve in your account in case you need it. And you don't need that for every single property, but in the beginning, ha- don't like just have no extra. Um, available cash as a resource in case you need it for whatever reason have a buffer have that operating capital and as your portfolio grows you don't need as much you can have less and less and less of it as a percentage so i'd say if you're starting out using that hundred thousand dollar property example have about twenty four or twenty five thousand dollars makes a lot of sense um thanks for that um you know you mentioned about being adequately capitalized, especially on your initial properties to maybe account for some unexpected CapEx. Maybe you ended up, I don't know, needing a new HVAC system or something that wasn't identified on the initial inspection. And you want to be ready for that. That's a prudent investing strategy and and that's important to do. So certainly understand that. Um, We're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Want daily interviews with real estate investors and none of the fluff? Go to bestevershow.com where Joe Fairless interviews daily real estate investors and entrepreneurs about their best advice ever. Go to bestevershow.com. So Marco, what is the best investment you ever made? Um, so Taylor, that sounds like a simple question, but it really isn't because um, I can think of you know different examples and for different reasons. But I'm going to say that the first property I ever bought was the best deal. And I say that because it was my first deal. I was 18 years old. I just turned 18. I was able to qualify for financing. And um, it's the property that I cut my teeth on. And it was the property that I purchased. I renovated it. Didn't need major renovation, but I, I, you know, updated the carpet and the, you know, uh, the flooring and paint and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I, I did, you know, a fair amount of work on it. Uh, I personally uh, managed, I personally interviewed the uh, prospective tenants. Uh, I'm the one who put the sign on the the yard and, you know, basically I did everything and um, it was pretty much a textbook deal, but I cut my teeth on that deal. And that's where, you know, I got my start and I learned what I learned initially from that. So that, that probably was my best deal just because it was, uh, it set, it, it, it put the writing on the wall. Awesome. I think that that's a very good answer. It's a great, uh, it's the one that the deal that got the ball rolling, got that snowball headed down the hill. So it may or may not be the biggest percent return you ever made on a deal, but it's the one that got everything going, which is certainly a, a great, best investment. How about what is the worst investment you ever made? <laughs> um, again, I probably could think of a couple of them. I would say <clears throat> I would say that the worst one of the worst deals that I made was the one this is kind of where I learned the importance of being in the right neighborhood. Um, it was one of the first one of the early on first uh, single family homes I purchased. Um, 
in a neighborhood and you know this goes back to the whole thing of you asking how much do i need or how little can do i need to get into a deal um i i was going for cheap and i you know i was i was making the mistake didn't know it at the time of buying those relatively inexpensive properties and i want to say it was like thirty, forty thousand dollars um but you know the problem with that is and this is true for most markets at least markets that are you know in more affordable this wouldn't apply to los angeles or new york or san francisco or any of the coastal markets but you know when you're buying properties that are about forty thousand ish plus or minus in um in you know in these in these uh more affordable markets you're typically going to be in a c or probably a d class neighborhood and so you're going to have lots of inherent problems in these neighborhoods a lot of it is anecdotally speaking but um but there's just a lot i had personally i had a lot of tenant issues and i know that clients in the past who have bought in these areas also have a lot of tenant issues maybe not right away but it's kind of baked into the cake and it's a matter of when not if i've had a fair share of issues buying in these low income low uh you know poor quality neighborhoods and you know this is why you don't focus on price you focus on on value and quality so um and I mean, I, I even had a person in, in like one of these sketchier areas shot in front of one of my properties. Wow. Yes. Uh, now, I don't know what happened to them. I don't I, I know they were taken away, uh, went to the hospital. I don't know if if they died or not, because um, I, I really don't even know who it was. But I just heard that, you know, someone got shot in front of my property and they were taken away. So I, I say go for quality, you know. <laughs> The mistake, the worst deal is like the worst deals I've had are, are the ones that are in the sketchy neighborhoods. That makes a lot of sense. And that, that brings to mind a quote that's really been bouncing around in my head that that a previous podcast guest uh, told me months and months and months ago. But the quote was from Oscar Wilde. He said, a cynic knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. And that just that has stuck with me so much. And I think it applies to a lot of life, but especially to business and investing, if we just always focus on the price of, say, a, a, a single family turnkey property or you know, the price of any kind of service you're having done, say, even on your, your own house, if you're having a renovation done and you only focus on the price, then the value is probably not going to be there. So we need to focus on the value that we get and not so much the price. So I love that. Right. And I just always want an opportunity to bring that quote up. So uh, thank you for that. What is the most important lesson that you've learned in investing? Uh, my, the, one of the most important lessons I've learned, I actually learned on that first deal that I did when I was 18. And uh, and that is this. I I made the mistake years after I bought it. Not I mean, not too many years after, but several years after I bought it of actually selling the property. It appreciated quite a bit. And um, I, I was focused on that capital gain. And so I sold it and took the gains. And I was really happy about that because I thought I did exceptionally well. And I did. But what I came to realize is that uh, when, you, you know, one of the first things that happens is when you sell, you're going to pay taxes on those capital gains. Second, you don't have the property anymore. So you lose the cash flow. <laughs> and, and the lesson I learned is that 
you never sell your properties. I mean, you can sell them to exchange them for other or more property. And you do that through a tax deferred exchange. You know, we have clients doing that all the time. Um, but you don't sell just for the sake of selling unless, you know, you have a, an emergency or, you know, some sort of uh, compelling reason that, that you have to sell, then you shouldn't sell. And so that was the mistake I made. I, I sold this property that I probably purchased at the time for about 40000 And, uh, you know, today it's probably close, worth close to 400000 Wow. And, you know, I, it would have been free and clear a long time ago. And I would have been collecting, uh, I'm going to say probably 2500 to 3000 a month, you know, free and clear, like net, just net cash flow from that one property. So you don't sell, you, you, you can exchange, but you don't sell. What a lesson. Marco, where can our listeners get in touch with you? Um, well, I, I, I'm going to give two websites because we have two websites. We have our, our, our main website where we have all our properties and you know free reports and that kind of stuff. And that's simply noradarealestate.com. And for those who don't know how to spell it, it's N-O-R-A-D-A noradarealestate.com and then the sister website is titled uh after our podcast it's simply called passiverealestateinvesting.com and i encourage everyone to go check out the podcast passive real estate investing and uh marco thank you for being on the show is there anything else you'd like to share quick before we say goodbye uh, yeah, real quick. Uh, you know, I have a lot of favorite quotes, but I'm going to throw this one out real quick. Um, you know, one of my favorite um, uh, philosophers and an, and an entrepreneur, Jim Rohn, who unfortunately passed away in 2009. I, I happen to be really good friends with his business partner. And Jim Rohn is one of my favorites. And he has a saying, it's never wish life were easier, wish that you were better. And if you're always working on yourself and you're educating yourself, you will you cannot help but but do well and do better in in everything you do in life and in your business and your investing wow that's great i'm certainly a big fan of jim Rohn. i think I'm, you're probably referring to uh kyle yeah yep kyle's a good friend of mine awesome yeah he's a good dude so um that's yeah. great i love that quote big fan of jim Rohn. Definitely encourage everyone to go uh, look up Jim Rohn on on YouTube if you if you need a little fix. Yes, um, so, I agree. Marco, thank you for joining us today on Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. To all the listeners out there, thank you for tuning in. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a five star rating on iTunes. It's a big big help. And if you know someone who would benefit from learning these strategies to grow their wealth and increase their freedom, please share the show with them and bring them into the fold, bring them into our little tribe here. For now, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. Talk to you on the next one.